Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, we continue our summer previews by looking at the teams Northwestern does not play this season. Uh, Michigan State um, is who we have on deck tonight. Thank still God. Having, still having nightmares about Kenneth Walker III and uh, the complete domination that he'd had against <laughs> us last year. I mean, I, great, great, great tailgate that day. Great tailgate that was, experience. That was a phenomenal tailgate that day, yes. And then we, we went into the stadium and everything went downhill from there. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't see them this year, which, you know, I, I think is good. Thank God. Um, yeah. Mel Tucker, 10 year, $95 million extension. I mean, this is a guy who's now getting paid with like the top coaches in the country. Um, is he worth it? We shall see. Um, to, to, John, to, to Michigan state, a hundred percent. I think he's worth it because the oh, thing I mean, is, is like, they got him to commit in a way that, like, they're not going to lose him to Penn State. They're not going to lose him to um, – I forget. Who was it that was really – LSU was – LSU, was yeah, around. right? Like, they have they have put a stake in the ground. Obviously, you know, it, it doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to stay there forever, but, like – And they and they had a name coach for a long time in Mark yeah. D'Antonio who had a real culture and, and a real style and everything, and they had to make a pivot from that, and they seem to have a guy that's going to invest in – a different kind of future, but a, a, a real working future for them. So, you know, yeah, they had to spend that money. Uh, so, John, take us through the Sparty defense for 2022. So, kind of what I was alluding to, like a split second ago when I was when I was saying that, and this kind of change is, I think every casual fan, including a lot of you listening to this, know the kind of season Michigan State had last year. So, you know, to, to our audience at home, I'll kind of throw out um, a couple rapid-fire questions to you. You just... You know, bake an answer in your head. Was Michigan State's defense good last year? Was Michigan State's defense surprisingly improved last year based on transfers, right? Uh, and, and all this work with the transfer portal. The answer to both of those questions is a resounding no. They were not good on defense last year. They were not surprisingly improved last year. And the transfer portal didn't have anything to do with what they did on defense last year. Here's the thing about Michigan State last year. They were so good as a team overall and so strong on offense right off the bat i'm sure you all remember that the narrative around michigan state quickly coalesced around this job done by mel tucker and the incredible luck and success that michigan state had despite this crazy amount of outgoing and incoming transfers and led by kenneth walker a ton of that narrative is most definitely true on the other side of the ball i'm sure scuzz is going to take us through it On the defensive side, it isn't remotely true. It's very interesting to look at what Michigan State was dealing with on defense last year, how the Spartans chose to handle things, and what that means for next year, because we've been doing this pod long enough that we can see some real parallels here with what's going on with Michigan State and what has gone on at other teams in recent history. So effectively, last year, defensive coordinator Scotty Hazelton chose radical solutions to big problems. He was dealing with a defense that had, A, been so-so in 2020, considering just how bad the offense had been, but B, was losing all of its best players other than safety Xavier Henderson, and C, 
was really weak across the defensive line. Michigan State couldn't get sacks, and they were really going to be looking for new playmakers to emerge. So the solution that Hazleton arrived at was the same one that Nick Holt ambushed the Big Ten with a few years back in his first year as Purdue's defensive coordinator under Jeff Brom. He absolutely stacked the box, he sold out completely against the run, and then he attempted to solve any resulting problems against the pass just by sending a ludicrous amount of guys at the ball because they already had so many guys in the box. Michigan State doubled down on this by putting three safeties on the field for large amounts of time. And again, Xavier Henderson, who's been their guy for a couple years now, he's a quote-unquote safety. He's a de facto linebacker. He enables you. He gives you the ability to do this. And Michigan State did it. They had three safeties on the field a lot. So did all of this work? And if we're comparing it with Holt, was it more or less successful for Hazleton at Michigan State than it was for Holt at Purdue? I would say that the answer to this question is it was just extra in every way. Michigan State led the conference in sacks, even though no defensive lineman had more than seven sacks and no other Spartan had more than three. The Spartans also climbed from eighth in the conference against the run all the way up to fourth. And sweet heavenly crap did Michigan State get get torched through the air. Consider this. Maryland had the 13th best pass defense in the conference, and Michigan State gave up 75 more pass yards per game through the air than the Terps did. This team gave up 325 pass yards per game last year. The pass defense was so bad that Michigan State's total defense absolutely cratered to 14th in the conference. Let me say that again. This was the worst total defense in the Big Ten last year. The thing is, though, even with all that, you can kind of still argue that what Hazleton was doing worked, sort of, because after all, this crazy sellout against the run approach turned a couple of touchdowns into field goals in the red zone for a team that won a ton of close games last year. So maybe it was the right call. Because the thing is, if you recall, Holt's defense at Purdue absolutely imploded the year after he implemented that approach. So it's basically a card you can play one time in one season when you have the element of surprise in your favor. And the fact remains the Michigan State has not had a good defense for several years now. And it's probably going to have to make a standard defensive approach work this year. They can't just go willy-nilly and load the box again like lunatics and just bring pressure and expect it to work even close to as well as it did last year. So with that said, um, this crazy pell-mell approach that Hazleton used last year did allow a lot of young guys to see the field and contribute And that's probably the single thing that should have Michigan State optimistic on defense heading into 2022. Because, I said it off the top, for all the talk about transfers on defense last year, on D for Michigan State, it was the homegrown underclassmen who stepped up. 
linebacker Cal Halliday, safeties Darius Snow and Angelo Gross, and defensive linemen Jeff Petrowski, Maverick Hansen, Simeon Barrow, and Jacob Slade. I just named a lot of guys, and they all looked pretty good last year, and they all come back. So you fold in the fact that in a massive gift for Michigan State, Xavier Henderson is back for what has to be like his eighth season. I'm not keeping track, but I mean, it's got to be eight, I'm going to say. That's a strong group of players overall, especially when you factor in these ascending young guys. The issue, though, remains that Michigan State still does not have a way to generate a pass rush, not through a standard alignment. And last year's methods would probably somehow work even worse this coming year if they really tried to do it again. Um, So this almost has to be a more vanilla look this year. But it should be a vanilla look that is solid against the run with a lot of really stout 4-2-5 looks that, thanks to Xavier Henderson, really play more like 4-3 looks. There's a lot of talk, and, you know, I guess reasonably so, for a god-awful pass defense. Um, There's a lot of talk about Michigan State needing to find strength at corner, but honestly, how can we even know that that's the case? It could be that the cornerbacks Michigan State has are actually decent if they get any kind of support other than just this insane pressure. Michigan State loses defensive end Jacob Panasuk, who was the line's top producer last year, But honestly, if you've been following these previews and you've been following Michigan State, he kind of graduates as a symbol of this lean period for the Michigan State line overall. And I don't think replacing him is going to be a very tall order. So my guess is this year's D is going to look a lot more like the 2020 Michigan State D, which was so-so, but was absolutely steamrolled by its own offense being just atrocious. So I would say this is a very solid ascending group of kind of classic, if not hallmark, Michigan State players. So assuming that Hazleton plays it safe, it's probably a middle, upper middle of the pack defense that can't get to the QB with a standard pass rush, but it locks it down against the run. It's going to depend on the corners beyond that. If the corners suck, it'll be a worse defense than that. If the corners are actually decent... It could be better than that. But let me just close by saying that what I really want is for Scotty Hazleton to just completely lose his mind and run back the exact same defensive approach as last year. I want to know if Michigan State can give up 400 yards a game through the air. Let's find out. (laughs) Uh, Scuzz, how do you replace a Doak Walker Award uh, running back? You go back to the transfer portal. Yeah, I was about. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, tell tell us about the uh, the Sparty O. Yeah, I um actually think this offense is going to be pretty good. They lose a couple big names, Kenneth Walker the third that you mentioned, and uh, wide receiver Jalen Naylor. But they have a ton of returning talent. They've got some big in- incoming players, both through the portal and recruiting. Um, I think they're going to be in good shape. I think they're going to be able to build on last year's success pretty easily. Uh, so first and foremost, Peyton Thorne, quarterback, really established himself last year. I mean, Walker had the um, barf epic debut, um, if you will, and put up huge stats in the first half of last season. But 
Thorne was quietly excellent all year. He uh, upped his completion percentage uh, above 60 from, like, what, mid-50s, I think. He was a pretty good decision maker, a 3-to-1 TD-to-pick ratio. But most importantly, he was fantastic throwing downfield, a massive improvement from 2020 and 2019. He had uh, good yards per catch average, um, close to nine, and then lots of long touchdowns. Now, in in just to belabor this point, in 2020, Jalen Naylor was the only receiver of note to average more than 13 yards per catch for Michigan State. Last year, Naylor, Reed, Trey Mosley, and the tight ends when combined, were all over 15 yards per per catch. This is what opened up Michigan State's offense. Uh, Knock, knock, hello, Jim Harbaugh, if you've just listened to our Michigan preview. Um, And this allowed them to go 11-2 despite being subpar on D, like John described. Now, uh, this year they've got Thorne is back. Um, Reed is back. Mosley is back. They get Daniel Barker transferring in from Illinois as a big-time tight end. They've got promising youngsters uh, at wide receiver like Keon Coleman and Jeremy Bernard. This passing attack is going to be just as potent as in 2022. I think there's a potential for Thorne to maybe even step it up a little bit more with the confidence he gained throughout last year. Um, I don't expect to see this player this year, but they got a, a pretty decent four-star QB out of California in the recruiting class named Catton Hauser. So like, look out for, for what this team can do. They like Michigan state can be explosive in, in, in 2022 on offense through the passing attack. Uh, the other major contribution to their success last year was health and depth on the offensive line. This was the biggest strength coming into the season. They had a very experienced two deep coming back after like many, many injury played seasons. Um, that unit did not disappoint. The This is the big question for Michigan State this year, though. Like what happens? Because eight of those guys, including the Allen brothers, or the last of the Allen brothers, I should say, uh, has left the program. Five went to graduation. One left to the NFL draft early. And there are two that went to the portal. Now, they return the entire left side of their line. They add a plug-and-play right guard from Washington State. Um, and they might have a nice, uh, albeit young, uh, answer at right tackle in uh, four-star Gino Vandemark in their recruiting class. But death is a concern. They've only got 10 offensive linemen currently listed on the roster. Um, and there's not, other than Vandemark, there's not much else to shout about in the incoming class. This portends uh, some interesting things with the running game. Like I mentioned, Walker is gone, uh, but they have added two excellent, maybe phenomenal options from the transfer portal. One is Jarek Broussard, who was outstanding in his first year at Colorado. He wasn't so great in 2021, but that's probably but Colorado. About, was yeah, it says more about Colorado than him, right? But he was recruited by Mel Tucker. Um, and then our, our old friend, Jalen Berger from Badgerland. Uh, now, Berger never really broke through with Wisconsin, but a fresh start, maybe less competition, that like that might help him. Um, he's super talented. Either way, these guys are going to have to run behind a, a bit of a work-in-progress offensive line at some point this season. Like At some point, right, they're going to have an injury or, or they're going to have a player that's struggling. If, if, they can, if they can stay healthy and they can find just a couple of, of depth pieces to keep the offensive line flush for their big conference games, I think Michigan State has the pieces to be a real threat in the East. Um, at the same time, right, like they could be eliminated by the second week in, in October while still winning 10 games overall. 
If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. So let's let's go through that uh, that schedule here real quick. They open up uh, at home against Western Michigan and Akron. Then they head out to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies uh, before coming home to take tough, on Minnesota. Tough game in Washington. Yeah, I mean, Washington was bad last year, but you know, new coach, new program there. We'll see what happens. Uh, Big Ten play opens up at home against Minnesota. Then they're at Maryland, home for Ohio State, home for Wisconsin, by week before they travel to Michigan and Illinois. Then they're home for Rutgers and in Indiana before finishing up the season at Penn State. I mean, this schedule kind of sucks. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there, it's they've. I mean, this is a really promising team, but catching the Gophers, who were pretty strong last year, and the Badgers. Grant, they get them both at home. But as crossover games and then throwing in Washington, like they've got, they've got two weeks to get their shit together, and then it's yep. one, two, three, four, five, six straight. Like, yeah, not, right. And at Maryland, tough, yeah. but like and at Maryland, right? Taking the last year's number fourteen pass defense in the Big Ten to to Maryland, yeah, like they're. I mean, but and again, that's the trade off because I think you know. We're, I think we're getting the feel for it on the pod, and we were even talking about it before this. Like Michigan State looks like a good football team, and an offense-driven team, but a team that, again, it's like they chose to do some things in really crazy ways on defense last year, uh, kind of out of necessity, and they have a lot of ascending young players on defense who are really interesting. A lot of them. And there's the bones of a strong Michigan State defense are here, even if it's still kind of coming together. So you pair that with, you know, again, I right, I think it kind of feels like Thorne is being really slept on in terms of where he sits in the Big Ten pecking order. I think, um, I think he might be number two overall after yeah. C.J. Stroud. Yeah. So, I mean, they've... They've got a lot, and man, if this schedule was just a little bit more friendly. But I mean, with that said, I mean, they they could catch. I mean, they certainly caught it last year, and if they can catch it this year, like, yeah, I would say ten ten wins is for sure in play. I think. Uh, what kind of floor are we looking at? Well, I mean, it's not that, hard that... to list all the good teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I, it's true. It. I mean, it's not crazy to say they could lose six straight games. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's the thing. I'd say like the floor could be six. The schedule's just brutal. I mean, lordy, yeah. I mean there aren't too many teams. Yeah, like Scuzz said, September seventeenth they go into the meat grinder and they don't come out for a long time. I mean, you can really argue that from September seventeenth, uh, really all the way until they Through play n- Illinois in November. November yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, just yeah. They, they should win the first three of those games, but I, like, yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, and like Scott, I mean, I I guess if if we're looking for an implosion situation, um, again, it's like that they have this young defense that that Hazelton is like, you know what? I just ride the lightning, baby. Give me that number fourteen pass defense in the country, and like, 
like half the conference is like sounds good to us and they just torch them and then somewhere in that brutal stretch they start piling up offensive line injuries then there's your there's your submarine season but again like the flip side is they they do have ohio state at home yeah. Would this be the uh, the equivalent of the keep firing assholes approach to defense? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Shotgun I mean, again, theory. I mean, hey, it's 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 the insanity defense or the insanity defense for sure. Um, but I mean, here's the trade off, right? You can talk me into Michigan State beating Ohio State better than you can talk me into just about any team beating Ohio State. Um, and again, there's not a great argument I don't think for any of the teams in the Big Ten beating Ohio State. Michigan State for one game at home against this team, you can talk me into them as well as you can talk me into anybody else. I'm just, they have all the pieces on offense and the right things could fall into place on defense. And they're a team that theoretically could be comfortable just letting Stroud throw for 400 yards and feeling like they can be in the game regardless, right? Um, and S- sprinkle yeah. a little bit of rain on uh, right. on that on yeah, that sure, early weekend sure. in October. That's sure. All it takes. Right. So, but, uh, you know, they're, they at any given time, they could definitely be the second best team in the Big Ten for sure. Um, but with this schedule, like uh, I don't know, yeah, I'd say floor of six, and I'll probably take them at you know ten wins is probably as as many as they could get. I'll probably say like nine and three for them. I mean, again, I think that the raw talent on this offense can get them to nine. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see if uh, Mel Tucker can you know take them even to the next level. I mean. Could you? How hard do you have to squint to see him uh, going to Indy? Pretty hard. Yeah. Okay. I, again, it's like I <clears throat> they're because they right. I mean, they'd have to beat Ohio State, and they would need other things to happen. I think there's. I don't see them making it in any situation where there's not something doesn't happen with Ohio State that none of us see coming. I, like you could see them beating Ohio State head to head. And still losing two other games, right? For sure, for yeah. sure, right. yep, yep. And absolutely. Like, I, I mean, Ohio State hosts Wisconsin, hosts Notre Dame, hosts Iowa, hosts Michigan. Has to travel to Penn State, but they have a pretty favorable schedule this year. I, I would sum it up like this: that like, there's definitely a legit chance that Michigan State somehow beats Ohio State and Michigan. And does not win the Big Ten East. <laughs> yeah, it's, very plausible. it's plausible. It's plausible. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that'll about wrap it up our uh, preview of Michigan State. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.